Thank you, choir and orchestra and the church boys. I read an article recently titled, 50 Reasons Why It's Good to Be a Man. Let me share some of those with you because I considered them to be profound. One is, it's good to be a man because a man knows lots of stuff. I thought, well, that's true. We do know lots of stuff. Most of it is useless, but we know lots of stuff. <laughs> Another reason, it's good to be a man because a man can go to the bathroom without a support group. <laughs> and I can do that. I can go by myself now. It's good to be a man because he can drop by to see a friend without taking a little gift. It's good to be a man because he has one wallet, one pair of shoes, one suit, one color, all seasons. We don't have to wonder whether or not it's spring or fall or what you wear. You just wear what you got. And then it's good to be a man because you can do your nails with a pocket knife. <laughs> it is good to be a man. I'm glad that God made me a man. It's also good to be a father. Though there are lots of challenges directed at fathers today. Another article titled Dads, The New Endangered Species said, It seems that fatherhood in the United States is poised for either a great awakening or a gory collapse. I think that probably is true. In the days immediately in front of us, there is going to be a great awakening of fathers, of men, or there is going to be a gory collapse. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 127, beginning in verse number 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gates. Fathers have an important role in the raising of their children. Fathers largely determine or at least influence the direction of their children's lives. You'll notice there in verse 4 he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Just as an archer determines the direction of the arrow, so a father determines the direction or largely influences the direction of their family and of their children. Fathers, you influence them in their understanding of adulthood. What does it mean to be an adult? You have a tremendous influence in their understanding. For instance, if you as a father value education, they probably will value education. If you think it important that they go to college, they probably will go to college. 
If you believe it is important for them to continue to learn after they have received their degree, they probably will continue to learn. I was thinking of my own dad as I had worked on the sermon. My dad lived before the internet and before all of those opportunities that you and I have today, but at night, he was always reading the encyclopedia. That seems strange to me. While we were watching television, he was reading the encyclopedia. Why? Because learning was important to him. Because he was curious. And so he read the encyclopedia. And I believe today that I continue to be curious and I continue to learn because I learned that from my father. What I'm saying, fathers, is that you influence your children as to what's important to them. What does it mean to be an adult? You influence their understanding of marriage, and what does that mean? Not long ago, Cecilia Norman, a friend of ours from Oklahoma, had her birthday. And we were able to attend her birthday celebration when John, her husband, spoke and he told their story that they had grown up in a small Oklahoma town and how they knew each other, they fell in love as time went on and then they were married and they've been married for a long time now. But then he said, she has my heart forever. At his age, she has my heart forever. Fathers, we want to live our lives in such a way that we teach our sons to be godly husbands and we teach our daughters to be godly wives. You influence them in that. You influence them in their understanding. What does it mean to be a husband? What does it mean to be a father? You determine their direction or you influence their direction also about their career. What are they going to do in life? Some of them will have a career outside the home, some of them inside the home. That was the choice of my mother, my wife, and my daughter. You are going to have an impact on that as well. You are going to help influence them concerning their understanding of what it means to be a citizen. I, I've had difficulty understanding people who always complain about their community. They're always complaining about this being wrong and that being wrong. Well, get involved. You see, our children are going to grow up influenced by us, so influence them to be good citizens. Teach your children to be responsible. Today we are a society of victims. No one seems to be at fault. I, I'm in this condition because of someone else. It's the, it's the education that I received. It's the family that I grew up in. It is the society in which I live. But I'm not, I'm not at fault. I am a victim. I remember having tried that with, with my own dad when I would say, well, I did that because the other boys did it or because of this or because, you know, he never bought it, I don't think, one time. For him, it was always you made the choice. You were the one who decided. They, they might have had some influence, but you were the one who decided, and so he always held me responsible. Teach your children to be responsible. Teach them to pay their bills. When they grow up, they need to know that they have to pay their bills. If they make them, they pay them. I get a little aggravated when I pay my bills. 
because I think that in part, I am paying this much money because someone else didn't pay their bills. And now then, I am responsible for their irresponsibility. Teach your children to be responsible for their own family. When they get married, when they have a family, they need to be responsible for their family. One of the great joys of my life is that I had the privilege of leading my children to faith in Christ, and now then my children have led their children to faith in Christ. That's such a joy to me. But teach your children to be responsible. What I'm saying to you, Father, is that like a warrior who determines the direction of the arrow, you largely influence the direction of your children. All right, so we aim our children, we influence the direction of our children, and then we discharge them, we turn them loose. So we influence our children in a direction, but then we release them. That's difficult, isn't it? James Dobson surveyed a group of adult children about their top five concerns as they relate to their parents. Number five is in-laws. Number four, illness associated with aging. Number three, spiritual welfare of non-Christian parents. Number two, grandparents who show little interest in their children. And number one, parents' inability to release their grown children. We all understand why that is difficult because we want to protect our children. We know that there is a dangerous world and we want to protect them. So we have difficulty in releasing them and yet we must. I'm on the board of trustees at Charleston Southern University and one of the things that we have to deal with is what is known as helicopter parents. You perhaps are familiar with that term. Those parents who just hover over their children wherever they go and now they're going to college with them. I mean, they want to be involved. They're college students, but they want to continue to make decisions for them. Why is it so difficult for a parent to release their children? I would give you a couple of reasons. One is because of a loss of influence. You see, for parents, we have been the primary influence on the lives of our children all of their lives. So as they are growing up, we are the primary influence on their lives. So to release them then means that I lose that position of influence. Another reason is because for some it is a loss of identity. There are many parents who receive their identity from their children. We see that especially in sports. The parent oftentimes takes it harder if the child does not perform adequately than does the child. Why? Because the parent receives their identity from their child and when they release their child then they also have an identity crisis. Irma Bombeck, one of my favorite theologians, <laughs> wrote about her last child going to school. She wrote, my excuse for everything just got on that bus. My excuse for not dieting, not getting a full-time job, not cleaning the house, not reupholstering the furniture, not going back to school, not having order in my life, 
not cleaning the oven. It is the end of an era. Now what do I do for the next 20 years of my life? It is difficult for a parent to release the child. It is also difficult for the child to be released, and that's especially true today. Because many children do not want to be released. I mean, for heaven's sake, they have health insurance until they're 26. You pay for it. You provide them a house to live in, clothes to wear, food to eat. All of those things. It reminds me of the story of the mother eagle. When she builds the nest of her, uh, for her egg, she'll put in the bottom of it some bones, some sharp objects, and when she thinks it's time for the little eaglet to fly, she gets in and stirs up the nest to make it uncomfortable. Many instances, we are not making the nest uncomfortable today. We have put feathers everywhere. You see, we are to make the nest uncomfortable so that our children learn to fly. They need to be released, and release is natural and progressive for our children. For instance, uh, when the child is first born, the umbilical cord is cut, symbolizing a separation from the parent. The, the next step of separation is when the child is weaned. When the child is weaned, there is a, another separation. Another separation comes when we leave the child with a babysitter. You remember how traumatic that was, the first time you left a child with a babysitter? We need to get out. We need to have some time by ourselves. We're going to go to a movie. Couldn't watch the movie because every 15 minutes you're calling to see if the child is okay. We release them to a babysitter and then they go to kindergarten. I, I still remember there's a picture in my mind when Stephanie went to kindergarten and uh, it was sort of a traumatic time for us. And Linda took her to kindergarten. There was a street that goes, the sidewalk goes this way, and then there was one that goes up to the school. And when they got to the place where you go up to school, Stephanie had been holding Linda's hand. When they got to that point, she turned it loose and said, I'll go the rest of the way by myself. And Linda came home crying because Stephanie had just left her. They go off to kindergarten and there is a separation that comes as a result of that. And, and then about the time you get used to leaving them with the babysitter, it is time to leave them alone. How traumatic is that? Now then you're going to leave the child in the house by himself or herself. You give extensive instruction. When it's dark, come inside. Lock the door. If someone comes, don't answer the door. You don't recognize anybody. You don't know anybody. You just come in the house and stay there. Keep that door locked. We'll be back in 30 minutes. <laughs> then they go off to college. Some of you parents are experiencing that, going to for the first time. and It's a tough time. It really is. I, when we took uh, Stephanie to Baylor... And we got her situated in a room, and then we are leaving, and so help me, you know, we lived in Oklahoma City at the time, and so she's down in Waco, Texas. <laughs> Waco, excuse me. <laughs> I cried all the way home. You know, I just left my baby there, and I, I, I did. It was, a, it was a tough time. And then when Eric went to college, who am I going to watch sports with? Linda? 
I mean, I don't have anybody to watch the baseball games, the football games, nobody with. That's why I have blue. You know, if you want to watch with uh, someone, you have to watch with your dog, I guess. But they... And then they get married, and the Bible says, for heaven's sake, that they are to leave their father and their mother. I don't know what that's all about. But the thing is, is that, guys, we, we have to influence the direction that our children are going so that they will go in a godly direction. But then we have to release them and let them go. Then we demonstrate Christianity to them. Our children understand so much about Christianity and what it looks like by looking at you. And, and so you are going to provide for them a picture of what, what it means to be a man of God. What it means that they can pattern their life. They need to see it, not just hear it. They need to see it and they need to see it in you, that it's important to you. In 1994, the Swiss government did a study. And in that study, they reveal it is the religious practice of the father of the family that above all determines the future attendance at or the absence from church of the children. Did you hear that? It is the father more than anyone else who determines whether or not your children are going to be in church or out of church in the years to come. Oh, I know that a lot of you say, well, I leave that up to their mama. No, that's yours. And you, more than anyone else, affect whether or not your children are going to be in church. Now, Paul tells us how we model for our children. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, first of all, dads, and this is important, First of all, he says, demonstrate affection. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 8, Paul wrote, having thus a fond affection for you. Guys, listen. You are to have an affection for your children. The word affection that is used there is only used this one time in the New Testament. It is a very difficult word to translate into English. Jean, a German theologian, describes it this way. A word of great intensity, a term of endearment from the nursery that carries both masculine protection and yet tremendous tenderness. The picture is that of a father who is holding a child so tenderly as if the child might break and yet with such protection, defending against all predators. That's what affection means. You hold them tightly, but tenderly. Show affection to your children when they are young because you can have a great impact on them when they are young. Why? Because they're curious. What is the word that a child, a young child, uses more than any other? Why? And when they ask why, it gives you an opportunity to tell them. So they are curious. Not only that, they trust you. When a child is young, they trust you. They think you're the smartest person around. 
And when they are young, they are humble. They are willing to learn from you. So you have a tremendous opportunity to influence your child while they are young. But did you know when your child is older, they still need your affection? Affirm them when they wrestle with the adult issues of life. Some of you have adult children. And they are just as confused about the decisions they are making. They are just as uncertain as you were when you were making them. And they need to hear from you that everything's going to be all right. That they'll get there. That they don't have to be perfect. You need to affirm them when they are older. You need to appreciate them for what they do and who they have become. Chuck Swindoll wrote, Affection is complete when there is affirmation and appreciation. If we only show affection for who they are, we create a problem with self-esteem because we have failed to acknowledge what they have done. If we only show affection for what they have done, we create a performance-based approval. Dads, demonstrate affection to your children when they are young and when they're older. My children are older. I still hug them and kiss them every time I see them. Demonstrate authenticity to them. Our children don't want us to be cool. They want us to be real. There are a lot of parents who think that in order to receive the approval of their children, they need to be cool. That's not what they want from you. They want you to be real. One person said, I want to be what my dog thinks I am. Be real. Be the same sweet person at home that you are at church. Let me ask you, does your child see the same person at home that they see on Sunday morning at church? That was one of the struggles I had when God called me into the ministry. Because I didn't know. And I would see the preacher and I thought, well, you know, I guess that guy's perfect. He looks like it or he seems to be, but that's not me. And so I didn't want my children to see someone in the pulpit on Sunday morning and someone else at home on Monday. Be real. Be transparent. Parents are fearful of revealing themselves to their children because they are scared that their children won't like them if they know who you are. Is that right? We don't want our kids to know who we really are because they might not like us. Our children grew up thinking that we were the smartest person around and what if they find out I don't know. I told Stephanie when she was young and dating, I said, Steph, I've, I've never had a teenage daughter before. I don't know what I'm doing. I know you don't. You're a teenager. You're going through it for the first time. I'm, as a father, I've, I've never been through this either. I don't know, but we'll work through it together. I really believe those things. I really believe that more than having the right answer, that it's important that you be authentic and that you work through it with them. Because when we model authenticity for them, then we can teach them that it is important to be authentic. And then demonstrate affirmation 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul wrote, Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Now look at those words. First of all, he said exhorting. That word means to persuade, exhorting them, to persuade them. It's not unusual for me to speak with someone about church or the things of God and have the parent to say, well, I'm going to allow my child to make that decision for themselves. Well, that sounds noble. But the problem I have is that you would not use that rationale anywhere else. What if your child came home and said, you know, Dad, I'm going to quit school. I mean, I've already finished the sixth grade. I think that I've just learned about everything there is to know. So I'm going to quit school. What would you say? No, one way or the other, you would persuade them that they weren't going to quit. What if your child came home and said, you know, Dad, I'm going to take the car out tonight. I think at 13 I ought to have the car. No, you persuade them they're not going to have the car. Then why in heaven's name would we do the same? We are to persuade them, to persuade them about the things of God. And then he says, encouraging. The word encouraging means to advise or to stimulate. You want to know how to stimulate your children to Christianity? Model it. That's far more effective than me standing up here yelling at y'all. Model it. Let them see it in you. And then imploring, and the word implore means to whisper. It suggests tenderness. What are the results? First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Fathers, as you live for Christ, you will encourage your children to do so as well. When you live a godly life before them, just love the Lord. You don't have to know all the answers. Just love the Lord. Your children will be encouraged to follow your example. Let me conclude. Children are arrows in your quiver. And that's what the psalmist is saying. The children are the arrows in your quiver. You are the archer. So you aim them. You influence the direction. You discharge them. You release them. And you demonstrate to them the direction to follow after God. One of my favorite verses of scriptures in 3 John verse 4. Where John wrote, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, than to hear of my children walking in the truth. Fathers, God has determined that you are critical in your family. I pray and trust that that will be the priority of your life, to live your life for God so that your children might see that. Our gracious Father, I come and lift up to you this time of invitation as we extend it. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to the hearts of dads and future dads, of young people, of moms, wives, 
Father, that we might understand the importance of modeling what we claim to believe, that we would live it out. Bless this time, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we will stand, extend an invitation. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to commit your life to Him. It'll be the most important, best decision you'll ever make to give your life to Christ. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a member of this family of faith. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir sings, You come, I'll greet you as you do. We are going to take just a minute. I know that you are anxious to have lunch today.